life may get complicated, but Pastor Xavier Reese says eternal life couldn't be simpler. The condition is he who believes. Now, if I would have made the gospel, I would say, well, those of you who really haven't had too many sins in your life. No, he says, he who believes, the drunkard, the fornicator, the murderer, the terminally sick, the good moral pagan, won't you come and drink of the waters of life freely? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You know, try as we might, quenching a real thirst for life isn't satisfied with just anything, whether it be wine, women, or song. But the simple truth is we've all been invited to satisfy our soul at the Fountain of Life, where we'll find relief of spiritual wants and satisfaction to weary consciences. And in a study entitled, Come Quench Your Thirst, Pastor Xavier explains why the offer is good for any and everyone. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, I've entitled the message, Come and Quench Your Thirst. Six months have passed since Jesus healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. And he has been under persecution from the Jewish leaders, and their constant intent has been to put him to death. They sought to kill him because he had healed this lame man on the Sabbath. They also sought to kill him because he made himself out to be equal with God by calling God his father. Make sure that you understand that the Pharisees and scribes knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying he was God. That is one of the reasons why they did crucify him. Now, Jesus has already been proclaimed to be the son of the living God by Peter at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus has also revealed that he's going up to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes in order to be killed and to be raised on the third day. But remember, they haven't heard that because that's not their agenda. That's not their kingdom philosophy. Jesus has been walking in Galilee and not in Judea, for the Jews sought to kill him, but now Jesus is going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, walking under the shadow of the cross. At this point, Jesus is rejected by his brothers and challenged to reveal himself openly to the world. He is insulted by the people, declaring that he has a demon. The people are divided. Some say he's a prophet, some the Christ, some burned-out lunatic. And the religious rulers are seeking to arrest him. This is the very background under which Jesus proclaims the promise of the Holy Spirit as he taught in the temple. And so we want to examine the proclamation of Jesus regarding the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is marked by three things. Let me read you the text, and I'll give you the three things. Chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet 
glorified. The proclamation of Jesus regarding the promise of the Holy Spirit is marked by three things. Number one is the invitation, verse 37. Secondly, the appropriation in verse 38. And then thirdly, the interpretation given in verse 39. Let's look at the invitation first of all. Verse 37. Notice first that the invitation took place on the last day of the feast. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the seven feasts given to Moses in the law. You had Passover, Unleavened, Firstfruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, and Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the seven feasts. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three major feasts that every male Jew over the age of 20 had to present himself in Jerusalem. You find that in Deuteronomy 16, 16, just one of the passages. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles lasted seven days. And on the eighth day, it was to be just a day of observation, a day of rest, a Sabbath. And you find that in Leviticus 23, 33 through 36. Now, the feast took place... On October 15th to the 22nd, our calendar. On the Jewish, it fluctuates because it's different. The feast would be celebrated with the building of booths outside your home. There would be sufficient room left with the walls and the walls so that wind would come through so you can see the sky. And they would live in those booths for those seven days as a remembrance of God's faithfulness to get them through the wilderness. The feast also celebrated a time of thanksgiving to God for the harvest. You see, the whole nation was God-centered. And when God is the center and the focus of the nation, then everything revolves around him. Remember the tabernacle. The tabernacle was in the middle of the camp, and, and then the Levites, and then the prospective tribes all around and all were to be focused upon God. This nation of ours was focused and centered upon God at one time. Do you realize the first building that was built in a town was a church? And then they went to the church to find out if it was all right where the buildings were placed. Now it's the reverse. <laughs> and the city says, no, you can't build a church there. How interesting. Why? Very simple. We've gone from God-centered to man-centered. Very simple. Now, the woman's core would be lit up with golden candle stands in memory of the pillar of fire of the wilderness. It would be just illuminated tremendously. The feast would include a procession of the priests who would go down to the pool of Siloam to grab a pitcher of water. And from there they drew and they came back by the altar in the court and they poured it out there by the altar. In commemoration of God's faithfulness to provide for them water through the wilderness, even as he did striking the rock by the hand of Moses. The passage of Isaiah would be sung at the time, as well as a Hallel Psalm, Psalm 113 to 118. Uh, Isaiah 12, 3 read, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It was a time of rejoicing, of, of remembering God's faithfulness. The feast would not have water drawn on the eighth day, which would be the last day. 
And it was to commemorate and to symbolize that now they were in the land and no longer did God have to provide miraculously water for them. Josephus calls this feast the holiest and the greatest of feasts. Now, God doesn't say that. Josephus, a historian, says that. That's how impressive the feast was. But maybe Josephus is not too far off. For the Feast of Tabernacles is the only feast that will be celebrated during the Millennial Kingdom. And anyone who does not come to Jerusalem will not receive rain. And we find that in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16 through 19. Now, notice here, secondly, that the invitation was given as a herald. Now, the position of a teacher was to sit and the students would stand. Somehow we've got it turned around. And you can see why. Because as the teacher sat and taught, the students would stand. And if any of the students fell asleep, everybody would know. They would hear a big thug. <laughs> Maybe we should go back to that. <laughs> the position of a herald was to stand and to proclaim. Different from a teacher. A herald was giving his message. It was not his own. The herald was given the authority to proclaim the message. It was not his own. The herald was only responsible to proclaim the message given to him. And he expected a response, though he was never responsible for the personal response. That's important. Now Jesus stood to his feet on the last day of the feast, the eighth day. When no water was brought forth, everybody was just to think and to meditate, just to rest upon what had taken place. And Jesus stands to his feet and he cries out with great emotion. This is the word, with great proclamation and emotion, revealing their ongoing need to depend on God's provisions instead of celebrating their complacency to remain empty. Oh, isn't God like that so faithful? People don't want to confront us. They don't want to say, you know, you're getting off the wall or listen, this and that. But, but God confronts us. He does not allow us to remain in our complacent emptiness. He is always there to pursue us and to tell us exactly where we're at. You know, I say, Lord, I'm just doing great. He said, no, 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 you're not. Lord, you're just, I mean, well, you're just, man, opening doors. And he says, they're not my doors. <laughs> he says, Adam, where art thou? Oh, he wanted Adam to know where he was in relationship to him now. Fallen. God is so faithful to always let you and myself know where I am in relationship to him. That's how much he loves you. He's not intimidated like our friends or our family members. <laughs> well, I don't want to tell him nothing because, you know, I don't want him not to like me or think I'm judging him. You know, God just, he just tells us. He's so faithful. Notice thirdly there in verse 37 that the invitation was all-inclusive. This is incredible. The condition is to be recognized by the individual as if anyone thirst. Well, you talk about carte blanche. If anyone thirst. The loud cry must have seemed so out of order on this eighth day. The loud cry must have seemed arrogant. 
The loud cry must have seemed as a call to be noticed. The loud cry was in reality a proclamation of God's love, seeing man's desperate need, which he was in need of. Spiritual thirst and need. The condition notice is based on the exercise of one's free will also. Let him come to me and drink if anyone. No one is excluded, but let him come to me and drink. The exercise of one's free will is by the drawing of God not by our own ability, not by our own goodness. Jesus has already told us that in chapter 6, verse 44. It is God's spirit and God's blessing and his grace that draws us to him. The exercise of one's free will is a recognition of the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to show me my need of God through the conviction of the Spirit. God is forever attempting to reveal to a man and a woman their spiritual condition as they hear the word of God. The word is like a mirror. And when you go before a mirror, you go there to correct whatever is wrong. Whoever goes before a mirror and sees a button out of, maybe out of line and, 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 and then says, oh, it doesn't matter. Or they see their hair standing straight up and they say, oh, that looks good. Uh, no, we, we go to the mirror to correct it. Then why is it that we have such a great problem when we go to the Word and it says, this is wrong? We say, oh, no, it isn't. It'll all work out by itself. What a tremendous benefit we have as we're able to read and to listen and to meditate upon the Word of God. But also the condition is fulfilled by the exercise of drinking in a personal way in order to satisfy one's spiritual thirst that cannot be quenched with the things the world has to offer. How often we attempt to quench our thirst from drinking from the things that the world offers, whether it be alcohol, sex, or drugs, or, or uh, achievements, accolades, degrees, and, and money, and success, and popularity, and whatever else it may be. And they do satisfy to an extent for a time. We don't want to be extreme and deny a reality. But they soon come to an end, do they not? And the older you get, the more you realize all that you've been living for is just a waste of time. <laughs> and it's so empty. Because ultimately you come up empty at the end. It's like buying a car. It's great, but you've got to fill the tank up every time. It keeps going empty. That's a picture of man. Drawing from the world. Uh, Jeremiah said, my people have, have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water. And they've hewn down for themselves cisterns. And that sister that can hold no water. How sad that the world carves out. For years, they spend this time carving this cistern now so it can hold water in the days of rain. And they can have water for the days of drought. And only to realize that they've put 10, 15 years in this cistern. And then the first rains come and, and, and they're full and they're excited. Then they go away and they come back weeks later and there's not one drop of water in it because the cistern had a crack. 
Oh, let me tell you, everything the world offers, if it's not in the legitimate design and purpose of God, it will have a crack in it, and you will end up empty again, thirsting and hungering, going to the next man, going to the next woman, going to the next thrill, going to the next success, whatever it may be. I must drink personally from this water source. No one can do it for me. Now, you know, it's neat. Sometimes people can help us out and somebody's going to the store and say, oh, by the way, can you give me a half gallon of milk? Oh, great, no problem. Hey, can you give me some stamps? Sure. Can you pick me up some bread? Oh, no problem. But, but you can't say, oh, you're going out to breakfast. Hey, why don't you eat one for me, okay? No one can eat breakfast for you. You're thirsty, you can't say, why don't you have a Coke for me, okay? I'm really thirsty. You, you can't do that. You've got to partake, and the same with Jesus Christ. No different. And so the invitation is to those who recognize their spiritual thirst for God. Do you realize your spiritual thirst for God? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ. That God has brought you. God is extending the invitation to you this morning. Notice he moves on to the appropriation. Verse 38 Notice first the promise is to the one who believes in Jesus. He who believes identifies any person who recognizes their spiritual thirst for God without limiting or qualifying their personal condition. I love that. It simply says, the condition is, he who believes. Now, if I would have made the gospel, I would say, well, those of you who really haven't had too many sins in your life, 20 and that's it, no more. And out of those 20, you can't have sex, you can't have this, you can't have that. And uh, by the way, those of you who have mm, psychological problems and you've been abused and all that, I don't want you guys because if I can't work, then I'll get a bad reputation. No, he says, he who believes. Man, that's wide. That's totally open. The drunkard, the fornicator, the prostitute, the adulterer, the drug addict, the murderer, the thief, the idolater, the terminally sick, the good moral pagan. All whosoever believes now, he's not talking about just a general belief. Many people say, well, I believe. What do you believe? Well, I believe in God. Well, why do you commit adultery on your wife? Oh, well, you know, I mean, you can't expect me to stay with the same woman 40 years. I mean, you know, come on. Oh, why, why do you go out, get drunk, and get loaded? Well, you know, some, you need to have some curriculum, you know, some relaxation. Well, the Bible tells me the demons believe but it gives a commentary, at least they tremble. Do you tremble? So he's not talking about just general belief in God. That, that doesn't hit heaven. That's a guarantee you hit hell. It's like taking a gun and, and, and just shooting. And you say, well, I believe I can hit that target. And you just shoot. Well, you're going to miss it. And it's the same with general belief. 
What is it that you believe in? Who is it that you believe in? How is it that you believe? And if your belief does not change your life, then your belief is in vain. And even if it, what you believe, if it changes your life, if it's not according to Scripture, you've missed the boat. You see, salvation is like vacation. You have to make reservations before you get there. Now, if you make reservations in some hotel and you get there, and it's cockroach infested, and I mean, it's a bad service, you know, you've got nowhere to blame but yourself, right? Now, if you end up in hell, you've got to know that you've made reservations for that. Once you get there, there's no upgrade. You're there for all eternity. So the reservations are made now, not after the fact that you've died. The message is for those who are alive. That's why I love funerals. I preach to the people who are alive because it's for the living, not for the dead. I just used a cadaver to remind them that they're going to be there pretty soon. I said, you see this guy? Pretty soon, you guys are going to be here. Now, where are you going to be? Captive audience. They're thinking. Because when someone dies close to us, we think. But like sermons, once we get to the parking lot, we forget all about them. We shouldn't. He who believes in me, in me, identifies the person in whom they are putting their trust to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. The person of Jesus as the promised Messiah, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, way back from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Isaiah says, Behold, a virgin shall bear a son. You should call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1.18 and 23 confirms that. Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The person of God who became flesh and tabernacle among us in order to be the substitute for every person's sin and so John told us in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He was made the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins alone, but for the whole world, 1 John 2.2. And the word propitiation means the sacrifice that satisfied God's requirement. Please make sure that you understand that when God forgave you of your sin, that he did not wink at it and say, oh, it's okay, shine it. No. He had a basis by which he could forgive your sin. He killed his son. His wrath was poured out upon him for me. And so God does not wink at sin. Though it may be through grace and we cannot earn it, it certainly was not cheap. I need to understand that. The only person who is able to reveal the Father and the forgiveness of sins is the person who became sin. He can make us new creatures. So Paul Peter says to those in Jerusalem in Acts 2, 38, Jesus can forgive sins. We're a new creature. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. That's the, the scripture that I put on my dad's tombstone. 
so that as people are looking for their dead loved ones, they come by my dad's, they get the gospel preached to them. New creature. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing to a close the time we have for today with some good encouragement that the need for salvation has not only been met, but also offered to all. And there's much more to this message that we'll be continuing on our next program. But if you can't make plans to join us, or even if you've experienced an interruption or two during the last half hour and you'd like to get a copy of your own of today's study, we'd be happy to provide you with that. It's available on CD for only $4. All you need to do to make your request is let us know today's date or ask for this study by name. Come quench your thirst when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And that title once again is, Come Quench Your Thirst. And when you contact us, thanks for letting us know the call letters of the station you're listening to. You know, that information is very valuable to us, and we appreciate your help very much. Next time, we'll see how once we receive the living waters, we can then become the source of blessing to others. Hope you'll be back for more. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com Music